Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What does the future of work look like? Is it an in-person, fully remote, or hybrid situation? Lisa Hennessy, the Chief People Officer at Happy Money, has had a front row seat in answering this question. When Lisa started with Happy Money over three years ago, they were a traditional company offering in-person work. Today, they have embraced a fully remote model with employees throughout the country. Lisa talks through the transition from in-person to completely virtual and how they are still experimenting with how to help people feel connected in the company culture they are building. Experiments deeply rooted in the happy money values of love, trust, and hustle. This includes a party in the box that new employees receive during their initial onboarding. Lisa provides valuable insights on what to look for in a company and questions to ask when evaluating a new career opportunity for those of you who may be interested in transitioning to a completely remote career. Insights that are also especially valuable and useful for parents trying to juggle demanding school schedules and activities. Please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Hennessy. So Lisa, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. I know uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for weeks going back and forth and and getting you booked. Uh, So um, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I think Lisa, the, the piece where I want to start is to have you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into some of the the details of of what you do at at Happy Money and and go from there. That's great. Yeah. So I am an HR leader. So I'm the chief people officer at Happy Money. So I oversee all things people and culture. So that could be workplace experience to benefits to learning to recruiting. Um, Prior to Happy Money, I worked for over a decade at a top asset management firm, Capital Group, and then I moved into technology at Amazon, um, where I led HR for various businesses at Amazon, like Amazon Fresh and Prime Now. I've been with Happy Money since 2018, and then I live in Southern California with my two daughters, um, which is great. Yeah, so your weather is definitely better than than mine here in Metro Detroit right now. It's a, I think it's a balmy <laughs> yeah. twenty degrees out right now. So, oh yes, it's much warmer here. <laughs> so talk to so most of my our audience probably doesn't know what Happy Money is, and I know Happy Money because of reading the book. Yeah. So why don't you talk to our audience a little bit about what Happy Money is and how did you end up there? Yeah, so we're a financial technology company. Think of it as we help connect consumers with lenders or what we call community-centered centered lending partners like credit unions for a happier lending experience um, to help them achieve their goals. So we really try to design our loans with um, their best interests at heart. 
the way I got here was um, I had someone who moved from Amazon to Happy Money and told me and said, hey, come be my boss. And I I just love the mission and vision that the founder had and our values. And I just felt like that really aligned with where um, my heart was. So when you, because you're based in California, are you, do you have um, uh, employees across the country like working remote right now or is everything centered here for you in Orange County? Well, prior to, to COVID, we were 100% face-to-face, just moved into a brand new office that we had designed. And then we, like everyone else, we went remote. We actually really saw a lot of benefits to being remote. Um, and so last summer, we announced that we were going fully distributed, fully distributed, getting rid of our office, and that we were going to completely lean into this distributed first world of remote work. So yes, currently we have nationwide in the U.S. employees all over, um, and we're dedicated to this work model. So that that's a really interesting point to touch out on because I think I've seen here in Metro Detroit, obviously a lot of people went remote and now people have been trying to get, some companies have been asking people to come back. Some people have been getting forced to come back. And so it's, created a lot of, of tension. Did you guys go through any tension like that? What was the transition like, like for that? Because, you know, the, the heart of this podcast over the last year, as we were talking before we hit record has been about life transitions. And so it was a huge transition for people to go, you know, from working in an office building to completely at home, they get used to it. And now it's like, well, we managed to run the company during COVID at home, I don't know if I necessarily want to go back in. Yeah, we. so what we did is we took a step back, our executive team, because we were feeling a lot of benefits personally. Like that, we like to call it work-life harmony between your personal and work lives. And so we started to think about what, what does the future of work look like in general? And we came up with what our beliefs are of future of work And then we took a step back and we feel like there's like, I would say three large buckets of work models. And there's a variation of each. So the first one would be in person, you know, in the office full time. You can do hybrids with a combo of in the office and remote. And then there's that fully distributed remote option. And when we looked at those three work models and aligned it with our beliefs, we we went remote. We said that they're 100 percent. We need to go remote. This is for us. We are still, we're thriving as a company. Our employees are thriving. Take out the pandemic (laughs) as a complexity. Um, But in general, people were, they were happy not commuting. They're happy spending more time with their communities and their families. And so we just saw that it was just a huge benefit for us to lean into that. Do you find, do you find ways to track um, employee engagement? And really, when I say employee engagement, Productivity. Are, are, are people still able to um, get their jobs done? Because I think that's one of the, the big transitions when, when I faced when I left corporate and came into my own firm, Tama, was I didn't have necessarily set hours anymore. Yeah. Now, part of that was good because I could get my kids you know, up and out to school and get them back from school, um, whereas before it was, it was much tougher in my corporate role. Yeah. So productivity has been better 
than when we were in person. I think part of that is a lot of companies have embraced the open office environment. And, and so there's that, that switching of tasks more than when you're remote and can have that flow time. But we did spend um, a significant amount of time, probably in the first six to eight months around asynchronous work versus synchronous work and having core hours as a company to make sure that we continue to have that collaboration and time that we all came together for meetings, but also making it very clear that we also embrace the asynchronous work. So I dropped my girls off at school this morning and then I came back and I was able to work and then I'm going to pick them up later. And so now I have this flow. I couldn't achieve, like you said, in a corporate environment where you were in an office. For me, that makes me feel like I can also show better as a mom, which is, um, I think for me personally, just invaluable. Um, so I think I think that it, it depends on the person, but we've really tried as a company to educate people what that looks like when you look at synchronous versus asynchronous work. So has it been, obviously it's been some kind of transition for you and your team yeah. when you're onboarding people now, what's, oh, yeah. what's that like? What's the What's the good, the bad, and the, I guess the ugly of, of, of all that? Yeah, I mean, the, the bad or ugly part is that they can't just walk into an office and feel who we are, right? So that our values and who we are as a culture, you don't get that. You don't get to absorb that from the, the environment. So we've really had to experiment with how do you bring our culture starting day one into people's homes, and we've actually had a lot of fun experimenting with that. So how have you, how have you, let's stick there for a second. How do you yeah. do that? Like what experiments have you gone through? Because I'm really interested about this because a lot of, of my families that I work with um, have asked me about the, asked me about this as far as you, how do I onboard? Like, how do I get a sense of the culture? And in a lot of the research I read that that's the question being asked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a comp, it's a complicated, and I think it depends on the culture for us. What has worked well is we've come up with a curated box that shows up on their doorstep that we like to call like a party in the box. So people can feel our values and we have swag that people can under like feel a part of something. They also in that box is their laptop, their it setup. So here's the self startup. And I think most importantly is we have a very um, structured first two days for them on onboarding. And that's owned by people in culture with leaders across the organization popping in and doing overviews. But when you're remote, more that it's more important than ever to have that introduction to the entire company. What are your values? What does that look like? Um, what are the, the norms, work norms across the company? And so we do spend two days with programming around those things. And we try to really build that those relationships in that cohort that's starting, even if it's three people. It's really important that they start to create bonds with that group of people because they're no longer just going to see each other in the in the, the break room. Right. So it's it's creating those moments for them to do that. Um, but really from a what do I do day one, the Friday before they're getting this party in a box to get excited and have all of their technology ready to go. Um, and that's proven to be really successful for us. So from a recruiting standpoint, because I've read a lot 
of, of research and talk to a lot of people about this. Um, you know, recently on the show, I had a, a regional um, a recruiter, Carrie Chauchet, who was on the podcast talking about how she's literally seeing companies from out of state coming into the Metro Detroit, Michigan area and recruiting people because they have a specific talent. We live in, a, obviously, you're in Orange County, Orange Orange County, California, which the cost of living is way more expensive <laughs> than it is here in Metro Detroit. Yeah. And it's allowed you know companies to go in. And I know people use the word poach, but to find talent in a lower cost region, mm-hmm. and it makes one financial sense, but you can you can you have a bigger pool of of people to choose from. Yeah. This market is insane. I've never seen anything like it. So I will, I will start there that I don't have all the answers on it because we are experiencing the same thing. What I will say is we really, when we did our beliefs around distributed work, we decided that we're going to pay for the impact and role, not where someone lives. So we actually pay, our, we pay around um, Southern California ranges, even if someone lives in Michigan. Now that makes it hard because now you're competing, those companies in Michigan are competing with employers who are paying Southern California, New York ranges. What we've decided is that a software engineer, it doesn't matter where you live, the market is dictating what that person is worth. And so we have to compete in that way. So it does make it super challenging and and we're experiencing the same challenges. Um, But honestly, the, the pay piece, I think has really given us an edge but yeah, now that's the that's the perk. It's strategic to be distributed because you can have talent anywhere, and yeah. and that's that's big for us. And that's you know from the the business owners that I talk with um, almost on a daily, weekly basis, you know they they struggle with with labor, you know yeah. day in and day out. And it doesn't matter if it's a you know lower wage hourly worker up to a manager or a salesperson, and I know one one of one of my neighbors who owns a bagel shop was telling me, "Hey, we didn't need the government to raise um, the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. It's just naturally gone yeah. up to that level, and so it's made it really um, challenging for businesses to um, compete because the the labor pool itself has shrunk and their costs have gone up. Yeah, I, I, when we talk to my peer group executive team, I talk a lot about like we, this is happening in the market. We can't, we can't help that, right? It is what it is. It's insane. People are being poached from us. You know, people are being upbid by other companies. So, what's in our control that we can help figure out and crack that nut around? Um, how we do things. And so the, we focused a lot on culture and that remote culture and how you bring people together and keep them connected. Our attrition is high, just like everyone else's. Um, but we, I really feel like that's become a competitive advantage when you look at company A versus happy, happy money. They need to weigh, people are weighing more of that purpose, right? Post-COVID or post-COVID in quotes. <laughs> um, <laughs> That a lot of people are saying, okay, I want something more. I don't want to go back to how life was pre-COVID. 
And so we're really trying to show people we agree. And so our culture is going to evolve with that. So putting on your, your forecasting hat and full disclosure, I tell the families I work with all the time, I do not try to forecast markets, interest rates, what the Fed will do, <laughs> anything like that. Yeah. But I'll ask you, Lisa, do you, how long do you think this goes on with this really tight labor market? And, and to me, when, when I get asked that question, everybody's looking for a silver bullet answer. And I tell mm. people, it's way more complicated than this. You've got 3 million people that just retired and dropped out of the workforce. We already had probably um, this um, development where the labor that was out there didn't match up with the skills that were needed and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's, it's multifaceted, multi-complex. It totally is. I probably say um, it'll be probably ebb and flow over the next two years at least. And, and here's why. We are going through this time period where a lot of companies are still remote. They're trying to figure out when to go back to the office. So right now we have a lot of people assessing what they want, where they want to align their values with what company. When people go back to the office, you're going to see another influx because some folks are going to say, actually, I don't like this, <laughs> or I prefer what I was having for the last two years. So I think a lot of people are reflecting on what, what, kind of work model benefits them and their family. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of research that a lot of moms in particular are having to leave the market. So is part-time jobs, is that going to become more of a norm to help these families who need to have a little bit more flexibility? Uh, so I think probably over the next two years, we're going to continue having these challenges um, and then people are going to land where they land and, and we'll start to have it level out. I would expect do you, again, do you feel, not an expert. No, it's that, that's, <laughs> that's no, that's good. I appreciate your insights, Lisa. I think that's great. And it's very informative. I think to, to our audience who are, you know, trying to take all this in, especially the moms out there. And we have a very mm-hmm. large demographic of, of moms. And this podcast is about families and parents and, you know, we'll get to that in, in, in a, in a few minutes, but do you, do you think that you're with what you and your team are doing at happy money are a pioneer? Like, do you think you have maybe a first mover advantage considering that we you've made this decision and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to move forward and we're going to keep tweaking and making things better. Yes. I mean, absolutely. We are, we are, don't have to deal with the distraction of when do we go back to the office so-and-so has COVID, we need to contact trace. I, I hear my, when I talk to my peers, there's this whole complexity to the job and the company with this unknown of what, what companies are going to do. And we don't have to think about that. Where we're focusing our time and energy is how do we really become best in class on a remote experience? Because I don't think any company has really done that perfectly or beautifully. And so it's a great, it's an exciting time for people and culture, for those companies who are really leaning into remote. So I do, I do think that it's, it's um, benefiting us to, to not have that distraction of what we're going to do and have that unknown looming over us. So, and I, and I'm not looking for specifics because obviously it's, you know, private, you know, confidential information with your employees. But what I'm wondering is, have you and your team had personal conversations with your employees about reevaluating 
what they want um, in their careers and how to create some, some more harmony because I'm, I'm probably with you. I think you probably share the sentiment, the way that you describe work-life harmony rather mm-hmm. than work-life balance, because I've never believed that there's balance that you either yeah. you, at times in your life, you're, you're, you need and, and, and want to be focused on your career. And there's other times where you need to be focused on your family, on your kids. And that seesaw is never a plain level. It's mm-hmm. one side's always up or down. Yeah. It, it implies tension right? The balance. Yes. And I, at first I have to give Jeff Bezos credit because I heard it at all hands at Amazon where he described that work-life harmony and that's just stuck with me and resonated with me. Um, I, I do think that as we go through all these changes and we think about work-life harmony is so personal to every person, we've really tried to keep that open, open door and quotes, door and quotes, um, around people having those conversations. Like if they don't feel like remote is for them, some people I completely acknowledge just work better and perform better in an office and that's okay. But that those really, those conversations need to be had and they need to feel safe, that psychological safety to come in and have those conversations. So we've made it when we did the announcement of fully distributed part of what we announced it with was a full narrative document with FAQs. And one was like, I don't know if I like remote. And we made it clear that come to us and have that conversation. You get a stipend each month for phone and internet, maybe use that for a WeWork membership so you can be in community with others. Um, But we ultimately want to respect what's best for folks to to make that decision around their work-life harmony. In your experience in going through this, did did you get a sense from employees that they're scared to have that conversation? Because I'm putting myself in a position where, like if I was back in the corporate world, would I really want to have this conversation with the CFO about, hey, I don't know if I could, you know, if I like this, you know, work from home, I want to be in the office or vice versa. Or, you know, I know in my last, you know, one of my last major corporate roles, I had probably two thirds of my staff were moms and Mm -hmm. they had, you know, an hour commute. So, and I took a lot of heat for for trying to be flexible with them and, and giving them options to you know work a day from home and whatnot, um, and to me that was I tried to be really strategically empath- empathize with them because yeah. I know that going back to that harmony, like if if you were thinking about issues at home, you weren't going to be real productive at work and vice versa. Yeah, it it, it it's hard. I. Um... I'm sure there are people who don't feel comfortable having that conversation in our company, but we have really um, strived to make progress on that. We actually talk about psychological safety. We talk about mental health. We talk about work-life harmony and we that's become more of a norm for us. Therefore opening the door for people to have those conversations. I, as a leader, I do feel like it's my job to lead with that and, and so I will say, I, I need to be a mom today. And so I do need to, like, you're going to see me come in and out today, but um, I try to model that and be vulnerable with 
my folks so they know it's safe to have those conversations when they're having trouble with that achieving that harmony. But I'm sure I'm not naive to that. There are probably people in the company who don't feel comfortable. I just try every day to try to chip away at that to help folks feel like they have a safe place to come and talk about it. So one of the things that we we haven't touched on, and and I don't think I've even brought it up yet, is you know your your mom. You have you have two younger kids. What what do you see as far as a company being able to offer, like going back to that company culture, like how does a parent, when they're looking at a new opportunity, um, try to dive in to see if that company culture will help support them, not only with their career, but, you know, being a, a parent to be able to achieve, you know, that, that life harmony we, we've touched on quite a few times now. Yeah, I, my my recommendation would be is is interview if you're interviewing for a new position with a new company, interview them just as much as they're interviewing you. Um, it's a it's a job seekers uh, market right now, and so I would ask things around: Does their mission and values align with your own? Um, is the company's vision clear? How does it live out our uh, that its values for us? Um, we have love, trust, and hustle are our values. And so everything we do guides that. And so I could very easily, if I'm talking to a candidate, describe how those values play out in our workplace experience um, within our teams. So you want to you wanna push on that. If that's important to you, I would ask about that. Um, so I, I think that there's questions you can ask up front to really get a gauge of if they are aligned with where you are. I think another one is to ask about PTO, ask about vacation time. And what, and for us, we have unlimited PTO. We're very much on that tech company wagon of the unlimited PTO. You're going to have to explain how that works because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've got that question from a few families. And, you know, I try to like think about, you know, what it was like or like, we that wasn't that didn't exist a few years ago, and especially not here in, in Metro Detroit, where it's very traditional, old school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would look at it this way: for so for our hourly folks, we do have them accrue time. We it was really hard to do unlimited with with um, folks who are who are doing time cards with our exempt or salary um, people. I would look at it as they just they don't accrue time. So when they need to use it, they can use it, but they don't have a bank that they need to accrue. You don't have to mess with that. Um, we do try to make sure that um, people know like this is this is a, a privilege. It's not an entitlement. So if someone was not performing easily, the door is open for us to have that conversation or if someone's abusing it. I, I do think, though, you need to ask questions about how does the leadership team take vacation? How often are they modeling that? We have health and wellness days in addition to our PTO. So we ask that everyone takes at least one day off a month where it's focused on their mental and physical health. And we model that at the top. Like we are just so good about booking our health and wellness days. So people see that. So I would ask questions around like, how does that work at the company? And are you seeing leaders take vacation? If you're talking to your potential manager, how often do you take vacation? Um, that's a big, that's a big signal around 
their belief around that flexibility and that harmony and how they feel as someone coming to work as a full person, not just a number or an employee. And you may have touched on this already with some of the, the insights you've provided us already, Lisa, but if you're a person looking strictly at a remote work position, doesn't really matter where it's at. Cause obviously you, you want to say somebody's here in Metro Detroit and they know that they want a hundred percent remote position. What would be some of the, I guess, insights, tactics, if you will, um, that you would tell that person or ask that person to look for? Cause obviously it's very different situation because you're not going to probably see, you know, your team that may report into you. And especially like your, your, your boss that you may report that you would report into, um, you know, in person, obviously it's zoom and video conference can only get you so far. Yeah. It's very interesting for, even for me, as I've hired people on my team throughout COVID, because I've not met some of them in person, which is so funny and interesting and weird all at once. Um, I would try to talk to as many people as you can, even if it's via zoom, um, get a sense of who they are, even if you need to say, hey, can I spend more time with my future boss or potential boss? I think that that people are, one, happy to hear that you want to invest the time to get to know them. Also just gives you a better understanding of who these people are and how they function. I would also ask, though, around how often do they get together in person? Like, is that still something that's important for us? We do think relationship building in person is important. So we have guidelines around how often teams should do that. They have budgets for it. And we do think that's valuable to to being better as one team. So I would ask that. I would ask um, what how they create a experience or culture outside of a physical location. Like, how are they doing that? Are they providing experiences um, with their teams instead of happy hours? What, how, what did they replace that with? For us, now we've really experimented and we do week-long um, celebrations or themes a few times a year that brings people together. And I've just had so much fun being in someone's home as they're cooking their favorite cultural dish that's important to them and watching them do that um, on Zoom. And so I would ask those questions. How does that play out? How are you bring? How do you bring people together even though you're remote? Yeah, that's uh, uh, for for I think for better or worse, my my wife um, Teresa, she, where she works currently, she seemed to get volunteered as the uh, planning coordinator for a lot of these events. And so <laughs> my. Her office at one point was right around the corner from mine. And uh, it's it's a very great setting because her office was actually in our bar as our oh, house great. was getting remodeled. <laughs> so she's got like line, you know, just bottles of, of bourbon lined up, you know, all around her. So it, it made happy hour a uh, very interesting conversation. Perfect backdrop. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's creative ways you have to embrace that not everything you try is going to work. And so I just set the stage with our teams of like, hey, we're going to try this and it may suck and we'll evolve though. And we'll keep iterating on it. And so when you set that expectation with people, it takes the pressure off of having to really be a perfect people team and perfect cultural experience. Yeah. I think, I think that's really insightful, Lisa, because you take, you try to not lower the temperature of the room, but you're trying to like, you know, 
reduce the expectations where they're not like so high, like, okay, we don't know if this is going to work or not. We're going to give it a shot yes. as opposed to you're not trying anything and people, you know, feeling disconnected or less connected, however way you want to look at it. And which is obviously so important because you're not there together in, in one location. Yeah. And you mentioned it, your wife being volunteered for, and, and I do think one thing we've seen is it can't be the people team driving this, right? It needs to be a, a collaborative effort across the company. And one of our events that we had, our, our cultural celebration, we call it Revel. Um, we had 50 people from across the company volunteer to either do a session around their culture, be on a panel, like get people involved across the company and, and, and really try to bring people together in that way too. Not just, hey, we're creating this for you and pushing it out, but bring them into it, get them excited and tell them it's okay if we fail. Um, I, to us, that's just been the most fun we've had in the last year. So to kind of like start bringing our conversation back full circle, I came across um, you because I read the book Happy Money by Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton. And obviously Elizabeth is the one who um, started uh, the organization. And so is my question is, is, is Happy Money the book required reading for everybody when they come in? <laughs> We actually, they are in their welcome packets. We do have the happy money book and um, Liz is a big part of how our how, right. As, and we talk a lot about prior, prioritizing time over money and spending your money on experiences over things and how that research has shown that it increases happiness. And we do try to model that within, with our employees is like, how do we make better decisions culturally to increase their happiness as well. And we'll be, I'll be sure to link to, to, to the book in our show notes as well as the, the happy, your happy money website as well. Right. So as we kind of wrap up our, our conversation, Liz, and this has been extraordinary, like your insights on this, I think are going to be really helpful because again, this is one question I've been getting often is, you know, you know, this remote work, you know, some people are definitely for it. Some people are still on the fence, but I think what you've provided are ways for people to ask questions and kind of get an insight into, okay, this is what you're doing with your team at Happy Money. Now, obviously every company is different, but I think it gives a good glimpse into you know, what it could be um, like working for a completely remote company. Um, so I ask all of my guests with my closing question is, what is the best thing about being a parent? I love this question. It really makes me think like, what is the best part? Because a lot of times we focus on what the challenges are, especially with preteen girls in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say watching my girls become their own independent people, those personalities coming out. I want them to grow up to be strong women and, and own who they are and just seeing them take steps in doing that is just the biggest joy of my life. I love that part of parenting. Well, that's the, the, it's been so interesting over the, I guess now the, the first year plus of the show is getting people's responses and answers to that question. And they're so dynamic. 
Um, I've had people get very emotional about it. And sometimes I've gotten emotional to, you know, asking the question, you know, given, yeah. given the, some of the topics that we've covered, but I think Liz, Lisa, that is a uh, excellent way to, to wrap up our conversation. Um, I look forward to more conversations to come on this as you um, in, in Happy Money being a pioneer um, in this remote work. And we'll definitely look forward to having you back on. Thank you, Paul. This has been awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.